This is episode number 387 with Dylan Smith. The Melissa Ambrosini Show. Welcome to the Melissa Ambrosini Show. I'm your host, Melissa, best-selling author of Mastering Your Mean Girl and Open Wide. And I'm here to remind you that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. Each week, I'll be getting up close and personal with thought leaders from around the globe, as well as your weekly dose of motivation so that you can create epic change in your own life and become the best version of yourself possible. Are you ready, beautiful? Dylan Smith is a certified Ayurvedic practitioner and holistic health educator based in Sydney, Australia, where he runs and operates the Vital Veda Clinic for patients and for those who love to nourish themselves with precious herbal elixirs. Aimed at uncovering the root causes of ailments, Dylan shares wisdom through his podcast, teaching programs, and travels the world to share his holistic passion to teach patients to effortlessly integrate foundational techniques into their daily life so that they can thrive. He regularly travels to India to train with an internationally renowned family of Ayurvedic doctors. He is devoted to learning and sharing this ancient knowledge for everyone to utilize and enjoy to experience total wellness and bliss. And in today's conversation, we chat about why the ultimate preventative medicine starts in the womb and how to give your baby the best possible start in life, the crucial importance of a holistic conscious approach to the prenatal conception, birth and postpartum phase for both the baby and the mother, two essential Ayurvedic practices to rejuvenate the mother and support the bub from day one, the 11-day Ayurvedic ritual to gently welcome your baby into the world and build a healthy, loving attachment and strong immune system. I love this and this is definitely something that Nick and I will be doing. We also talk about whether mamas should eat their placenta, plus how the first 40 days after giving birth dictate the next 40 years of your life and the way your menopause will unfold in the future. We also chat about the best meal to eat straight after birth for a quick recovery and the foods that you must have and the foods that you need to avoid for postnatal depletion. We also dive deep into why mamas must set firm and healthy boundaries around their postpartum period. And I know so many mamas to be are going to love what he shares here. We also dive really deep into the very first foods that you should offer your baby and how to gradually introduce them to foods to protect them from digestive and health issues, why you don't have to choose motherhood over meditation, and his incredible reframe for the time spent feeding our babies. And I love this so much. And again, this is something that I will definitely be doing. Plus, we dive into so much more. And for everything that Dylan and I mentioned in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes. And that's over at melissaambrosini.com forward slash 387. And now without further ado, let's get this party started with the incredible Dylan Smith. Darling, man, I am so excited to have you here. It's been a long time in the making. But before we dive in, can you tell us what you had for breakfast this morning? This morning for breakfast, I had a cup of hot milk with a bit of herbs in it. 
I was thinking you were going to say some sort of Ayurvedic kitchery or some sort of dal, and I was going to get so jealous. I either don't eat breakfast or I'll just have a cup of hot milk and have a good lunch. Yes. Yeah. Well, I am so excited to have your wisdom here with us today. You are someone that I could sit and listen to talk about Ayurveda and Vedic wisdom for hours. I could just sit in your presence and listen to you. And we've known each other for a couple of years now. I've done, I think it was a five-day mini panchakarma with you before I got pregnant, just before I got pregnant, which was amazing. And we did Abhiyanga and Shiradhara. And what is the thing called with the clay around the belly again? Chakra Basti. So holding a medicated oil over the womb. Yes, we did that. And then we did the medicated oil up the vagina as well. And what's that called? Yes. Yoni Pichu. Yoni Pichu. Yes. Yes. So, oh my gosh, there's so much I want to dive into you today with you. I've spoken a lot about conscious conception and pregnancy on the podcast already. You know, we've got so many incredible episodes. Episode 383 with Nick and I, 252 with Dr. Stephen Cabral, 279, Dr. Afruz Demiri. And we have dove deep into it, but I haven't spoken much about this fourth trimester. And I really want to dive deep into how Vedic wisdom and Ayurveda can really support the mother and the baby in that fourth trimester so we can create Vedic babies. Firstly, I want to know, how did you get into all of this and why are you so interested in wanting to help and support women? Like this is your passion. This is what really lights you up. So how did you get here? Yeah, so what mainly got me interested in women's health and gynecology and particularly preconception, pregnancy and postpartum is the chronic disease epidemics that are right now prevalent. You know, there's when you look at the statistics, they're quite uninspiring. So that calls to preventative medicine. You know, we really need to take action on our health and start implementing measures that we enjoy doing and that will ultimately prevent and not make us part of these statistics. And I see the ultimate preventative medicine is attending to the women, particularly preconception, pregnancy, postnatal, because what they do at that time is determining that human being's future life, their whole life, even when they're 60, 70 years old, their health condition and status is going to be determined according to how the mother was at those times. If the woman has as the karma and, and the blessing to have that wisdom at their stages of their life, of course, many women are listening when their children are teenagers or whatever, but that's also fine, you can really make a big impact on your children. So ultimate preventative medicine. 100%. It's never too late. Mm, Exactly. So let's start with what we can do now, wherever we're at, to set ourselves up for a beautiful birth and postpartum. What can we do to set ourselves up, no matter even if we're not even thinking about having babies right now, this is the information that we need and that should be shared because it's empowering and it's inspiring. So what are some of the things that we can start to think about for birth and beyond? Well, you said for those who are not even thinking of having birth, so you mean preconception as well, right? Yeah. Let's start there. Without going too deep into the preconception because we have covered a lot of that. 
it starts even with the menarche, with the menstruation. Every menstrual cycle is determining that future offspring's life. So how the woman is during their menstrual cycle will influence that future offspring. You know, even in the Aboriginal culture as well, they, they say that. And in the Ayurveda, it says, you know, if the woman listens to loud music during their period, their future offspring will have hearing issues. Or if they cut their hair or their nails during their period, their future offspring will have bone issues because the bone is related with the hair. The hair is a byproduct of the bone tissue. So it really starts with the period. And, you know, honoring that cycle will not only help with hormonal health and fertility, and, but it will also help with your future offspring, literally beginning when the woman first gets their cycle. And then, you know, we get to more preconception, like right before, and that's so important because whatever the state of his sperm and her ovum is at the time of conception is, is that blue, it blueprints on that individual, that future human. So that is a real, you know, if anyone's ever going to really take time out to do like a cleanse or panchakarma, which is Ayurvedic detox and rejuvenation, or really put a lot of energy and attention towards the health, it's, it's preconception. And then, you know, the pregnancy, of course, that's more time to relax, you know, just like be like a queen, like just do whatever you want. There's a few restrictions of foods you should avoid, but really it's just whatever makes you happy, whatever gives you purity in your life and bliss, just just indulge and, and do that. And then the postnatal, the postnatal is really a time where, where Ayurveda shines and, and the time to intervene because after birth, the mother's hormones are so erratic and her vata is very high, which means her nervous system is a very hyper-stimulated place and a very ungrounded place because it's related with the air element. Vata is air and you once had this being in you for nine months, this fetus, this fetal body, and after it's just empty and that's space, air and space, that's vata. So you all of a sudden have this huge amount of air and space and that we really need to take care of the vata straight away. So there's a lot of things we can do, you know, starting from the day one and giving you know, the herbs, the certain rituals, and many of these things. Yeah. So let's literally talk about from day one of birth. I know a lot of the things, you know, the massage and the 11 days and the baby vaccination. I want to talk about all of that. So from day one, we've just given birth. Let's talk about what are some of the Ayurvedic things that we can do to really support mama and bub. So I guess the first thing is the umbilical cord. You know, you want to keep that on for a long, you know, in, in typical general hospitals, we'll cut it off straight away. But even studies have shown, even if you leave it for five, 10 minutes longer, the, the baby will get so much more immunity and white blood cells. And you can even some, you know, recommend to even leave it connected to the placenta for one to two days, it will naturally fall off. So extending that time as much as you can. And then the mother, of course, things like bringing the baby straight to mum putting the baby on the breasts, you know, soon, within a few hours to suck the breast, the breast milk, and just connecting, you know, touch on the chest. I was going to say one thing about the umbilical cord. I've read a lot about cutting versus burning. What does Ayurveda say about that? What's their perspective on the cutting versus the burning? I'm not sure of the burning, but burning is cut it, they burn it with a cauterization. Yeah, they use candles. The Ayurveda would use like a type of cauterization, so a, a hot herb even to cut it. I think we're nice, are also okay, <laughs> whatever's easy. So yeah, touching the mother and, and then rejuvenating the mother with herbs is quite helpful. You know, really, there's some specific herbal wines which we give and we've just seen that's so powerful for the mother. The classical one is called 
Balantkada. It's a common Ayurveda formula you can see, and the mother just takes it for 30 days, and ideally starting from day one. But, you know, even I get mothers who contact me about it when they're four, even five, six months postpartum, we can still give it then, even definitely six months, even 12, nine months, you know, we can give it that far after because it, that wine, that herbal wine, which has probably 30, 40 herbs in it, it really rejuvenates and allows the mother to have proper bowel motions. You know, I had a patient the other day who had a second child and this time she took the herbs and did the Ayurveda protocol and she said she couldn't believe how much better it was because she was having proper digestion and bowel motions and her back was so much more free from pain. So it does so many of the things, the complications that can come. The main focus postpartum is rejuvenating mum. There's things we can do for baby, but it's mum. Like we want to just rejuvenate mum because then she's going to have the power and energy and ability to pass on nutrients to baby. And, and you know, you're so connected. So whatever the state of mum is, that's going to reflect in the child. So even when the baby comes out of the womb, you know, within the first 24 hours or within a few hours even, we also have specific immunizations in Ayurveda. So we have, as a couple that I use, one is a simple one that people will, will understand more is it's basically gold ash. So in Ayurveda, we get metals and we purify the metals and we make them into ash. This is called basma and it's the minerals and the metals, they're very medicinal and we mix a tiny bit of gold ash. It's actually one pin needle of gold ash, the size of a pin needle, mix it with a tiny bit of unheated honey and we just put it in the baby's mouth. And I've heard parents report when they do this, they just, their baby is invigorated. They get this almost sensory explosion, but a very nourishing sensory experience and like injection, excuse the pun, but it's not, not a vaccination, but it like an injection of this, this nourishment and this, because the gold is such a powerful herb, you know, better it's, it's a powerful rejuvenator and powerful immune booster. So we do that when they come out of the womb. And then after that, we can continue that immunization once a month according to astrology. So we give it according to a certain constellation, which I guide, which I can show mothers how to look in the calendar because the stars will have a, there's certain auspicious constellations which support the absorption of herbs, particularly the absorption of nectar-like herbs. And this immunization herbs are very much nectar-like. And there's that, but there's also a, another herb which I give, which are drops. And we give that again once a month. And then once the baby reaches one years old, after that we increase the dose the amount that they're receiving once a month, and that can be given up to early teenage years. That's the immunization, which we can again do on the day. On the day also of giving birth, we give one oil massage to the baby. The oil massage we call abhyanga, it really, it's giving like a coating, contributing to their microbiome. As you can imagine, you know, when babies come out, most of the time they're slimy. And this is this nice microbiome. And we're kind of adding to that and making that absorb greater with the oil massage. And then we will give them like a white babe bathing. What oil do you use? Do you recommend for that first day? And I have another question. I've read a lot about that beautiful vernix that's on the baby's skin, that we shouldn't touch it, that we shouldn't rub it and touch it and wipe it off. So Ayurveda is saying that we should, but a lot of other people say don't. So what oil do you recommend and what are your thoughts on that? Okay, so first of all, the oil I use and the herbs I use are all medicated herbs in oil, mostly coconut oil base with herbs cooked into it. And we have specific ones for children. Even some olive oil is also in there. So I have some specific herbs that my oils that my teachers make. And we gently wipe off. Now, 
I agree, you should not wipe it off. But the first time they come out, we don't want to wipe it completely. We just want to give them a little clean, a little dab. Okay, generally you will hear the first time they come out, they'll need a bit of cleaning to comfort them and to be able to put the wrapping the towel, the blankets around them, keeping them warm. Then, as you were talking about, the 11 days, for 11 days, we do not bathe them once or oil them. We don't do the abhyanga either. Only that first day. After that, it's literally just mum and baby together. Even the mother said doesn't need to bathe. She's not going to bathe. She's meant to be with the baby because we want to emulate the womb environment. You know, this being was just in the womb for nine months and it's just come out. We want to just slowly transition before it comes into the world. So the first 11 days postnatal, it's said that the baby and the mother just stay together in the room. Even the husband or the partner, even the partner is just there to protect and serve. That's it. They say the husband should just be at the door (laughs) to serve and protect. The gatekeeper. Exactly. And literally, it's just meant to be mom and baby really reducing the sensory stimuli. So light, even, you know, natural light, sunlight, keeping, you know, rather dark, definitely no wind exposure and all that. Really quite strict for 11 days. And again, mom and baby aren't bathing or massaging. They're just being in soaking up that microbiome, keeping that intact for 11 days. And then that kind of first period of 11 days that we can now again to slowly transition again into the world. And we do that until the 40th day. And you may have heard the saying 40 days for 40 years. And it's like really taking the time to rejuvenate in the 40 days will allow your next 40 years of life to be more energetic and less depleted. Again, same 40 days, it gets a bit more flexible and you know the husband can come or and immediate family if you want can come in that 40 days and i have mothers the really wise empowered mothers they and fathers the couples they're communicating before they give birth to their family to their grandparents to their aunties and uncles maybe they don't want them there so guys i'm doing this thing just because you know then the grandparents like cool i want to see you i want to see you but really making it clear before and and saying guys we're going to do this thing for 11 days and and then even for 40 days you decide who you want. And 40 days again, it's said to not leave the house. And when it says leave the house, it means be careful with the sensory stimuli. So especially the wind, you know, we really need to be careful for wind. Wind is vata, it's vayu. So that dosha, which is a a vitiated biological element, which manifests as a nervous system stimulus and hypersensitivity, that enters via wind. It, It is wind itself. So it particularly enters through the ears. That's why it's really important to keep the ears covered for the baby and for everyone as well, adults as well, especially if you're vata prone and you're in the windy environments. You see the difference. Go walk out in the wind or walk out in the wind with earplugs or cotton or head earmuffs or a beanie and you'll see how protected you are. So especially for the baby, we want to protect and this is what we're what we do for the 40 days and then after 11 days definitely massage for the baby every day before bath and abhyanga which is the oil massage and bathing is two very important things for the baby i've read the mother as well yeah definitely mother can start doing self abhyanga herself after 11 days so giving herself an oil massage and after 21 days then she can have a practitioner to come in and and give her an abhyanga of course she'll have the baby during the abhyanga here and there it's pretty fun for me to give abhyangas to postpartum mums so early because sometimes I'm massaging their feet while they're hugging their baby on their chest or massaging their legs. Yeah, it's, it's beautiful. So cute. And why 21 days? Still that sensitivity of this is like, so 40 days is a called a mandala in Ayurveda. It takes 40 days to establish new 
neurological pathways, establish new biological systems to maybe get rid of an addiction or just change a habit. So that's a full mandala. And then there's a half mandala, which is 20 to 21 days. And we don't want really other people's energies so much with mum. We just want to really, she's in a very sensitive place. We're still with just her and baby, just her and baby, their energy. And of course, partner will come after 11 days, so three-way. And after that, then after 21 days of that, then we can start introducing other energies. Because if someone else is massaging mum, even if it's someone you love or a family member, we want to just be very slow with introducing new energies, new sensory stimuli. It makes so much sense. And I've also read that the baby's aura isn't developed for the first seven days. So the baby's aura, it's still a part of the mother. And so anything that comes into contact with in those first couple of days, it's just affected by. But I'm curious to know, what about other children, like other siblings? Is it important to introduce them early on so they get their microbiome as well? Or what is your thoughts around that? And what does Ayurveda say? After 11 days, it's very hard for families. You can come and definitely they can see the child, the baby. You know, the brothers and sisters can see the baby, but we just want 11 days, just keep that womb, keep the senses so inward, keep the darkness, keep the stillness, and then, sure, let them come. What does Ayurveda say about eating the placenta? Because some people swear by it, some people say, don't do it, it's a detox organ. What does Ayurveda say about it? Like whether they put it in a smoothie or they encapsulate it, what are your thoughts? I want to look more into it personally, but as far as what Ayurveda says, and I haven't, again, heard a lot of sources and read about it in Ayurvedic texts, but from what I've been taught is just to bury it. They don't eat it. I've seen good research on eating it, consuming it, but it's interesting how you said it's a detox organ. What Ayurveda says is just to bury it. There would be some wisdom behind that, and I'm still yet to fully research and have my own view on that. I also have heard a lot about How you do your 40 days is how you will experience menopause. So if you go back into the world and you're straight into work and you're rushed and you're stressed and you're overwhelmed and it's tumultuous and you haven't fully healed, then that could manifest in your menopause. Have you heard that? Yeah, definitely. Because not only that, it's the menopause is another rite of passage for women and a big transition of and a big hormonal shift, that, not only that, any hormonal event in the woman's life before that will influence that, even periods. How does a woman honor her menstrual cycle? Are they resting? Are they eating light food? This definitely will influence the menopause and how you rejuvenate postnatal, that will influence the menopause, how you're doing pregnancy, all that. The menopause should be smooth. It should be like almost you don't know. And I've seen many women like this, especially who are following the Ayurvedic treatments and who are doing their certain special therapies for the women's health. And my mum was one of them who did a lot of these Ayurveda treatments in India for the women's health. And they just go through it like that. It's like nothing happened. And that's really how it should be. There should be no night sweats, no pain. And if so, that's an imbalance. And let's look why, how they were postnatal and how they were during their period. Exactly. Talk to us about what food the mother should be eating during those 40 days. What food and what drinks should she be consuming in those 40 days? Anything that's very nourishing, cooked. You know, you want to have a lot of cooked foods. There's certain protocols you can take, like the first thing that women can eat, that the mother can eat, is called kanji. 
or kanji, some people know it as, because it's both a Japanese tradition, Chinese tradition, Ayurveda, Indian tradition. It's basically rice gruel. So it's rice cooked with a lot of water and seeds, cumin seeds and ajuan seeds, which are two digestive spices. Because, you know, whenever you do a procedure, <laughs> a significant procedure, whether it's surgery or giving birth, whether you had a C-section or not, especially if you had a C-section, but even if you had a natural birth, it's a significant procedure that your body just went through. So whenever that happens, and again, any surgery, non-birth related, we want to, you can imagine the digestive system is like a baby's. So that's with, in the case of the mother, we want to very slowly introduce the foods and spark it up and kindle it back to its state. And always a good food to start with. And this is, again, you do it with cleansers. Whenever you do a big cleanse in Ayurveda, we always start with this kanji because it slowly builds. And I, my partner does postnatal meal plans for women and she cooks for them for the postpartum mothers. And I asked her and her business partner, I said, really, do a woman, are the mothers happy with that? I mean, like, isn't it like, I don't know, aren't you craving something or you haven't eaten for so long and you're getting just rice gruel? And they said to me, no, Dylan, that's actually, when the mother has that, they said that is the perfect thing they could have eaten. It's easy to digest and it's nourishing, it's warm. So that's the, really the first thing, with even the first two days or so they eat. And again, the herbal wines as well. And then after that, it's nourishing cooked foods. In Ayurveda, we say there's two herbs postpartum, which is very helpful, and that is garlic as well as ghee. And those two herbs are really to rejuvenate the vata, specifically that hyper-stimulated nervous system and that ungrounded hormonal structure. Anything that's cooked with love, general Ayurvedic principles, everything cooked and plenty of unctuousness, so that oiliation quality. We don't want to be drying. We want them to be nourished. And one more thing I forgot to say, on the day of postnatal, there's a very beautiful thing, which, and that is after they do that first oil massage and bath or just wipe when they come out the womb, you can whisper a mantra to the baby. This can be given from a teacher, a meditation teacher. And when they hear that primordial sound, which is what the mantra is, they feel back at home because they're like, whoa, what has happened? I just transitioned to this world. And they hear this mantra and they're like, oh, because basically we're saying to them, that's okay. You're an enlightened family. You can be a baby now. It's all good. You're with us. And that really is comforting. I've got you. Yeah, exactly. So that was one more thing which I forgot. So yeah, the main foods for mother and just nourish them and again, whatever makes them happy. But definitely we want to be reducing toxic load because, you know, they say whatever your baby is receiving everything. So even with the herbs, we adjust the herbs for them to be taking. Beautiful. Yeah, we are having a home birth in the water. We've got a pool and two incredible midwives and we've already started to map out our postpartum and to set ourselves up and Nick wants to be in the water and Nick wants to catch her and whisper the mantra into her ear and we'll do the baby Abiyanga. And then our intention is to bury the placenta and do the 11 days of just us three and then do the 40 days. And we'll probably allow my parents and Nick's parents to come and my stepson to come in that 40 days. But what we're going to do is just tell all of our friends, we love you and we will let you know and just set them up with no expectations. And then if I get to 20 days and I'm like, I really want so-and-so to come over, then great, I'll let them come over. But there's no expectation. And I think that's really important that we take that pressure off ourselves. 
if we say, yeah, yeah, come as soon as the baby's born or that you've got in-laws or you've got friends flying in from interstate or whatever, that can put unnecessary pressure on the mother. And so I think it's really important that we just say, see you in 40 days. And then if you want to have someone over, then of course, have someone over. But I know lots of my friends who have, you know, not let anyone else hold their baby in those 40 days besides their parents, partner, and other siblings. I know a lot of people, I've read a lot about when they do finally hold the baby, asking them to wash their hands beforehand and to shower in non-toxic body products and not wear deodorants or perfumes or also making sure that they're not using really toxic clothes powders and coming and holding your baby because your baby is just like, everything is so open and they are just like on sensory overload, like you said, and they're absorbing everything and you do not want them breathing in toxic perfumes whilst they're being held by your grandma or something like that. So these are all things that you can do. And we've also set up a meal train. We're also going to have a weekly cleaner come once a week. And we've got my mother-in-law who lives around the corner who can help with getting groceries and things like that. I'm also going to make a beautiful sign that I'm going to put on my door, my front door that says something along the lines of, thank you so much for stopping by. Mama and Bubba are sleeping. If you wouldn't mind just leaving whatever it is, whether that's the postman or a friend, would you mind just leaving it at the door? And baby, can't wait to meet you when the time is right. You know, just something like that. Just setting up all of these healthy boundaries for yourself so that there's no pressure on you. Because like you said, your focus as the mother should just be on nourishing herself so that she can nourish the baby. Because if she is depleted, she is not going to provide that milk supply that she wants. The baby is picking up on everything that the mother feels. And we need to make sure that the mother is just so chilled, no stress, calm, nourished, well-rested as much as possible so that she can be the best mama that she can be. Beautiful. You're so lucky you have all this knowledge at this stage of your life. You've got a real good plan. Everything you said is amazing. And I'll just add some more foods. I've got to mention for breast milk specifically, you know, of course the herbs will help. And then we have some additional herbs to have on hand just in case you need a little bit of boost with breast milk. But the garlic and ghee will help. And also, of course, a common one is fenugreek seeds, but particularly making the fenugreek tea. So you can just soak two teaspoons of fenugreek seeds overnight in water and boil that the next day and drink that. And fennel seeds, cumin seeds, anything that pacifies the vata. So we want just the cooked nourishing foods. And even to be careful with the leafy greens, even cooked, because that may cause diarrhea in the child. And definitely the raw foods and cold foods, cold drinks, all this will cause digestive issues. And there's so many little remedies we can do if there's colic issues with the baby. One of my favorite ones, which I'll mention just because it's such a helpful one, if anyone's feeling their baby's colic or sore tummy or whatever it is, the mother can just chew ajwain seeds. Ajwain is a type of celery seed. You usually have to get it from an Indian grocery. The mother just chews them and blows, blows her ajwain breath into the baby's mouth. And that basically immediately pacifies the baby's colic pain. And a big one also is to keep an eye on the bowel motions. You know, baby should be having good bowel motions every day. And if not, then we definitely have to give the certain other procedures for constipation. 
Okay. This is so helpful. This is so beautiful. Recently, my team and I were looking for a designer to create some new Instagram story and feed animations for this show. Because my usual designer is on maternity leave, that meant we had to look somewhere else. Then we came across Design Crowd. And I have to say, we were so impressed. Basically, Design Crowd is a website with hundreds of thousands of designers ready to help you create your perfect custom design. Whether that's a logo, website, book cover, or social media ad campaign, a quality design can make a huge difference to your overall engagement and success in a competitive market. There are over 900,000 super talented designers from around the world ready to submit creative ideas, ensuring you get the perfect custom design every single time. Now, within hours of posting your job brief online, you'll receive your first design. And over the course of two to seven days, a typical project will receive 60 to 100 plus different designs. You then simply pick the best design and approve payment to the designer. That's it. How easy is that? Check out designcrowd.com forward slash Melissa. That's D-E-S-I-G-N-C-R-O-U-D.com forward slash Melissa to receive up to $150 off. And keep an eye out on my Instagram over the coming weeks to see what we created with Design Crowd. What are some other principles or wisdom that you could share that is really important to impart in those early stages to raise these really conscious, well-adjusted Vedic babies? The general principle underlying it all is what we call in the Vedas sattva. It's purity. So everything pure, you've mentioned so many of them because like the chemicals and on that, I loved when you said that because Ayurved also says, if anyone comes to visit, not even if they're touching it, but if they just come to visit, they should shower before. They should bathe themselves before they come. And they will know that because when you enter that room, you and Nick's home, after that, there's going to be such a concentrated energy. Like you will, even people who don't meditate will be able to feel that. It will be obvious. And you know, when you're bathed, this you increase your purity, you know, you're hygienic, you're more alive, and you're cleansed physically, grossly, subtly as well. So that's increasing the sattva as much as possible, the purity. And you mentioned it, reducing the chemicals, of course, reducing the electromagnetic fields, because the baby's so hypersensitive, more vulnerable tissue to chemicals. Just being in the most blissful state you are. And meditating is also very important for both parents. The parents program, which is five minutes here, 10 minutes here, two minutes here, 10, 15 minutes here, whenever you can just get type bits of meditation. And that will again, just imbue that bliss in the atmosphere and, and radiate that out. So sattva is just key, you know, clean foods, pure foods. This is sattvic foods, everything fresh, nothing left over, everything full of prana, life force. You're growing a new life and it needs to be full of prana. So the water as well, you know, bathing in filtered water, absolutely, and restructured water. So not only filtering, but restructuring it so the water's back to its alive state. All of you as well, the parents as well, drinking the spring water, all these things. So, And then, you know, I guess later then comes the food introduction, which is an important thing, which can come around the fifth or sixth month of their life. And that, you know, again, when we introduce food, we introduce it on an auspicious day. It's an auspicious thing. 
it's even one of the samskara is one of the rites of passage to introduce the food and you either find an auspicious day with a local jyotish or local vedic astrology or generally what my patients do is either on the fifth month and fifth day or ideally when they're six months and six days years old you cook some rice with some milk and ghee and you dip a gold coin or a gold ring in the rice and you just like that you just put it in their mouth and that's the first thing they should eat is milk rice fed with golden ring or even a silver spoon or golden spoon if you have that and you know of course the gold you know even in the olden days they used to feed soldiers on silver plates to give them the immunity and i eat off a silver plate one day i'm going to be drinking from a gold cup like these minerals have beautiful embed this this powerful minerals and that's important to introduce and then slowly introducing the food not rushing with diverse foods using certain staples and and be very careful with the salt and the sugar and the spices like very slowly introduce then comes the vegetables again a few vegetables at a time one at a time and then the milks and all these things so yeah food introduction is also a, a whole science exactly i've read a lot about it even though i'm not there yet but i've read just how important it is to do one food at a time. Because what I see was, I was actually at a baby CPR course the other day. Sorry, not baby CPR. It was baby first aid and learning all about how to do CPR and things like that. And there was a mother there and they were feeding their baby. And it was just like so many different things and like this and then this and then this. And I was like, there was about five different things. And then, you know, she was sharing about how the baby has really bad diarrhea and colic and really upset tummy. I mean, if I tried to eat five different things in one go, like I know for me, simplicity is better. If I'm eating fruit mixed with this, with this and this, it just doesn't agree with me. So we have to really keep it simple, keep it simple for the mother, keep it simple for the baby. I've read a lot about, like you said, not adding in those cruciferous vegetables because a lot of babies have a lot of issues with that digesting those. So that's really important that we remember that as well. And I just think nourishing and simplifying our diet is only going to help the mama heal and recover faster and also the baby. Yeah. This will also help with intolerances and being able to empower their digestion to be able to tolerate any foods because allergies and intolerances are again like becoming epidemics essentially. So many people are intolerant. And of course, one aspect is the foods that they're eating and the wheat they're eating, the dairy that they're eating, but the underlying issue is the poor digestion. And a lot of that is how you were brought up. So that's, again, this is why it's my passion, because if you can formulate your child's diet, they can have the strongest digestion. And digestion is key to being able to digest anything in life, whether it is the foods, the toxins in the atmosphere, the relationships, any sensory stimuli, this is all digestion. How do you metabolize everything in your life? So when we can intervene postnatal with bringing up their food introduction, that will improve their digestion a lot. And there's so many other like beautiful little rituals, even like naming, like it's said in Ayurveda, to name on 21st day. And either, I think it's, you can either get like the aunt, I believe, is the one who reveals the name or uh, the Ayurvedic doctor or the Ayurvedic pundit. And there's so many things, even piercing ears as well is said. I can't remember when they do it, I think 21st day or the 40th day or the third or fifth year, you know, you can pierce the ears. And, and when you do, the father prays, may we hear bliss with our ears. 
And this is, you know, the ears have this marma point, which marma is where the acupuncture came from. This point where it increases the immunity and it enhances, you know, education, their ability to listen. So there's so many different little rituals. I love the, on the 21st day, the naming ceremony. Can you tell me a little bit more about the symbolism of that? It's another step, I guess, of increasing everything in their life. It even creates an energy, like that's their name. And that's going to increase other people's attention flowing towards that baby when they know their name. Before then, it's still womb. We don't even have a name yet. We're just very slowly integrating into the world. And again, 21 days, that half mandala, it's a time where we can start elaborating that being's features (laughs) or contributing to that. And yeah, that would be it. I love that. It's so beautiful. I wanted to go back and chat a little bit more about meditation because I'm sure you hear it a lot and I hear it a lot as well. It's like, I don't have time. How am I meant to meditate? And I currently, and so does Nick, we practice Vedic meditation twice a day, 20 minutes in the morning, 20 minutes in the afternoon. And we love it. Absolutely love it. And a lot of people have asked us, well, oh, good luck trying to do that when you've got a newborn. And I'm thinking, It's such a priority for Nick and I. It is such a priority. And when something is a priority, you'll move mountains to make it happen. And Nick's like, we'll just make it work. Even if it is that five or 10 minutes, we'll just make it work. And, you know, I've heard a lot of meditation teachers say, whilst you're breastfeeding, you can be using your mantra and do it then. But what are your thoughts and how can we incorporate it into that newborn phase? Yeah, definitely. Priority. And are you meditating more now while you're pregnant? Yes. I'm also incorporating so hypnobirthing, listening to hypnobirthing meditations as well. So I'm incorporating different ones as well, but then also extending my mantra based meditation. But yeah, incorporating other ones as well. Yeah, beautiful. So, of course, during the pregnancy is one of the times when a woman can, when anyone can meditate more than twice a day with this Vedic meditation, which is recommended to not do more than 20 minutes twice a day. And I definitely recommend to the mothers, get as much as in as you can before you give birth. Because as you said, and as I said earlier, it's just whenever you can, like whenever the time comes, five minutes here, 10 minutes here. And I definitely love breastfeeding to do it during breastfeeding. When the baby's asleep, if they're asleep in your arms or asleep next to you, whenever you can, just stop and and meditate. It's really, there's not much strategy to it except for that, just whenever you get a chance. And even with the breastfeeding, when you said about meditating, there's also even Breastfeeding at Quanta Ayurveda is a very sacred ritual. Although you're doing it many times a day, every time you do it, have the intention and stop. There's these certain mantras which women say when they're breastfeeding. It's something like, I am flowing nectar to you, the nectar of immortality or something like that. But I can find you those mantras if you want. But every time like you want to have attention because you are giving them this nectar and you don't want to just pull out your boob unconsciously and feed them. You know, Whenever we eat, Every food we eat, whether you're pregnant or breastfeeding or baby or a teenager or whatever it is, we have to make it like a ritual because we're feeding our higher being. We're feeding our higher self. And we want to, especially if we're breastfeeding, so we want to stop even there's certain directions to face. I believe it's east or south is ideal, especially east or north will promote that nectar to flow more. Do it with intention and do it as well as much as possible in privacy. It's a sacred thing and it's better to be, again, away from those. We call it drishti dosha. It's the doshas that come from people looking at you. Even though it may not be intentional, 
when everyone's looking at you, there'll be some energy that is transferring through the drishti, through the vision. So in private is, is always best when possible, of course. If not, you need to do it in the middle of the public, go for it. But again, every single time you do it, have that consciousness there. I would love to know where do you get those affirmations to say during pregnancy? Because one of my girlfriends, she taught me a little tip and technique she shared with me is whenever she was breastfeeding, she would close her eyes and visualize energy coming from the core of the earth and sucking up life force energy from the very center of mother earth. And then it would come up through all the layers of the earth, through her feet, up her body, and then out through her breasts to her baby. And I thought that was such a beautiful, and she would just close her eyes and do that visualization while she was breastfeeding. But can you tell me where we can get those affirmations to repeat whilst we're breastfeeding? I'll have to find the mantra and give it to you. But what she was doing was beautiful. And again, these mantras, they're primordial sounds. So by chanting them inwardly, the vibration will stimulate, similar to what your friend is doing. It will bring that breast milk out, allow it to flow well, and allow nectar to be in that. I'll find it for you and you can share it. Yes, and we'll put them in the show notes so people can go and check them out once we've got them. But I think that's such a beautiful thing. And I have read a lot about the privacy. It's a very intimate bonding experience. You know, my mother-in-law said to me, where are you going to breastfeed? And I said, oh, I'll just sit on the couch. And she said, Melissa, you might want to get a chair for the room. And she goes, it's a very sacred, special time. And you really want to be just you and the bub. And it's so precious and beautiful and bonding. And I thought, oh, that's so nice. It's a really beautiful thing to do. And not a time to sit and scroll Instagram, not a time to to be doing something else, you know, one hand on the laptop or one hand doing something else. I think it's really beautiful. And your babies know when you're present and when you're not present. And the milk quality will change. The energy of the milk quality will change when you are fully present and pouring love into your milk, into your baby. They will feel it for sure. And another thing which I didn't mention is similar to how you purified your home with cleaning it. We also, there's certain fumigations we do. So smoking therapies in the home, even under the baby. So everybody loves to put babies in like hammocks or just any cloth. They make like a hammock. It's very good for their spine. And under that, they burn coal and put some resin, some herbal resins in them. Even you can use frankincense. But other ones like Ayurvedic ones like Gugulu or Sambrani or certain just resins from a tree, you sprinkle on this hot coal and it creates smoke. And that is also good. That's a good antiviral. It's good to make that environment pure. The baby will inhale a little bit of the remnants. That's good for them as well to clear them out. Smoking therapy is one of the therapies in Ayurveda. It's called Dhumapana. And, and yes, the hammock is a good one, the little hammock. And simply you just make it with like a piece of cloth or a thin towel. And keeping the baby in the room as well, in the bedroom a lot, you know, even until they're five years old, sometimes it's even later. This will really, again, increase that bond, give them confidence, assurance, prevent the anxiety from manifesting when they're kept in that room, in the bedroom for the, with the parents. I love that. I co-slept with my parents. I was still in primary school, so I don't remember. I'll have to ask them what age, but we all slept in their room because we loved it. Like my sister and I, my older sister and I, we slept and we had like a mattress on the floor and mum and dad loved it. And then when my sister kind of graduated and got too old for it, she left. When my brother was born, who's five years younger than me, 
him and I slept on a mattress on mum and dad's floor in their bedroom and we loved it so much. And it was so bonding and beautiful and it felt safe and secure and just such a special thing. So I love that you mentioned that. And something else that I've heard you talk about, which I'd love for you to explain, is if you have a girl, the turmeric that you put on their body to stop a lot of the hair growth. Can you talk about that? Yeah, that's just the two most important things for a baby really to be doing is the abhyanga and the bathing. And the bathing, again, in clean water. And you can even add some herbs, some decoctions, which are basically like making a tea with herbs and adding that in. But for the women as well, for the girls, before they bathe, you can mix turmeric with chickpea flour and even some herbs like sandalwood, rose, or shira, which is vetiver, and put the paste on for like 15 to 20 minutes. So you're mixing chickpea flour, turmeric, and water, and you can add some aromatic herbs like rose, and you'll make a paste and put all on the body, leave 15, 20 minutes, then bathe. And, and that paste, it's more like a beauty thing. It does remove toxins, actually. Turmeric's very good, so it definitely cleans it. But it also prevents body hair growth. So that's why in Ayurveda they don't do it on the boys, just the girls. You can do it on boys, but not with the turmeric. And that's just, just a little thing that you can be doing and see. Obviously, you have to be careful in the cold seasons because sometimes that paste can be cooling, but definitely give it a go. You'll see these babies just like kind of melting into their sensory, their nervous system is stimulating their nerve endings because our skin has more nerve endings than anything. And when we put that turmeric paste on, it's like activating the nerve endings and the baby's like tingling in bliss. It's really nice to see. And then you can bathe them. And do you do that on day one or day 11? No, again, after day 11. Okay, cool. Because you're bathing after that and you don't want to bathe in 11 days. You need to obviously bathe them after that or wipe. Yes. And what are your thoughts on soaps and things like that? You know, what do you use to clean them? Like this. This is that paste, things like that. In Ayurveda, they use soaps, which are like either chickpeas or, or mung dal. It's the lentils. It's kind of like an exfoliator-like thing, and you just put that on gently. There's so many nice natural soaps as well. You just want to, you want to definitely be doing abhyanga before your shower because soaps, even the natural ones, will dry you out, will dry the skin out, and not just the skin, it dries the tissues out. So when we're doing abhyanga before, we're, we're protecting and we're maintaining that oiliation. And oiliation is so important. I mean, for babies, at least they have more of it in them. The babies, they're in the cuffer stage of life. They're, they're more oily by nature. They're more mucousy. They're more blissful, which is kapha. But everyone needs more oil. One of my Ayurveda uh, college teachers once said, if everyone took more oil internally and externally, the world would be a better place. And a lot of us, we just need more oil. Like we're so dry, which is creating, you know, dry mind. We don't have the ability to pass synapses as well, which can lead to unstable mind anxiety, or it will lead to neurological degeneration because we actually lose the ability to pass those neurotransmitters or dry gut, constipation, bloating, dry joints, joint issues, dry skin, dry bowels, so many things we need to lubricate more. And when we can get in that habit, you'll meet some people in India who are 60, this is becoming rare now with the modernization of India, but they're 60, 70 years old and they've had a massage every day in the, of their life after day 11. And that's because, and most of us in the West, we have it. We bathe every day, right? We wash ourselves, which is great. Okay, good. We've got that right. That's one of the daily routines in Ayurveda. But in addition to bathing and washing ourselves, we have to oiliate our body. We have to put oil on the body and lubricate it and feed the microbiome that lives on our skin. We have the same amount of species of microbes that live in our skin, that, that live in our gut. And we have to move the lymph and we have to 
enhance blood circulation and we have to pacify the nervous system. That is the biggest effect you'll feel when lubricating every day. When you're regularly lubricating your skin every day and massaging it, you've got this layer, armor, like a shield, and you can go out through the day much more confident physically and mentally. You're protected. So really a habit we should introduce from day one. And the best is seeing the babies around two years old. They're doing it themselves now. You know, they've had it every day after day 11 and they're learning to do it themselves. They're abhyanga and they're, they're going up and down their legs and it's the cutest thing. And that is really a beautiful thing we can, a really helpful thing that we can introduce. When you do abhyanga daily, it will prevent so many diseases. I love it. So I do it with the organic black sesame and I love it so much. And the days when I don't do it, if I miss it, I feel dry inside and out. I feel almost a little bit aggravated. There's like a little sense of aggravation. Like I'm just a lot more on edge. I definitely feel it. And oh gosh, I just love it so much. It's just the best. My husband doesn't love me doing it as much. As you know, you've been to our house. There's natural materials and timber and stone and marble everywhere. And he's like, did you sit here? I'm like, yes. So I have to like take a towel around the house with me whilst I've got my oil on or put on my oil clothes. I've got some oil clothes that I wear, but it it does. It just feels so good. And I'm so excited to do this for her from day 11 for as long as she allows me to do it and then she'll do it. It's such a beautiful ritual. And it's just like brushing our teeth and having a shower. We don't think about those things. We don't consciously think I have to do those. They just become part of our everyday life. And Abiyanga can do that as well. And by the way, you're tarnishing the floor. Just tell him that. The wooden floor is getting tarnished. Let's pretend now that you have a magic wand and you could put one book in the school curriculum of every single high school around the world. What book would you choose? So this is ideally for that 15, 16, 17-year-old age. The book that comes to mind would be The Seven Spiritual Laws of Success by Deepak Chopra. It was actually a really big turning point for me to start Ayurveda. But it's this basic seven basic laws of nature from the Veda. And Deepak Chopra really, really does that well. I can't remember the laws, but I just remember, especially the one that that changed my life was about Dharma. It was the sixth law. And when I read that, and Dharma, it means, you know, what is the most evolutionary thing you can be doing right now? And that's changing all the time, you know. For you right now, it's to be resting. And for you in a few months, it's going to be absolute resting. Whether for you last year, it was, you know, do the podcast, write books, share share things. And, you know, my dharma is not Ayurvedic practitioner. It is sometimes, most of the time. Sometimes it's to rest. Sometimes it's to be with my partner. So that was a huge book for me. And I just think it's very foundational and it's Laws of giving, laws of karma, laws of pure potentiality, least effort, intention, desire, detachment, dharma. These are things that he spoke about. And the Deepak just puts it in such a digestible way that's relevant for all. And I think it'd be great for high school students. A hundred percent. I'll link to it in the show notes. If you haven't read it, go and get it. It's such an incredible book. And it's not a big book either. It's quite small. So you'll be able to rip through it very quickly. Yeah, seven days, you can do it one a day and it's so short. And when people ask me to read books for spiritual growth, that's like the start. Perfect. Now, take us through your morning routine and a typical day in your life with all of your rituals, what you eat, talk us through what time you wake up, go through your whole day because I love hearing these sort of things. 
Sure, it's very detailed. <laughs> There's so many things. Go for it. I wake up before sunrise, and in the Vedas we call that time the Brahmin Mahurta. Brahma means totality, and Mahurta means time period. And the time before sunrise, approximately 3:30 a.m. till 5:30 a.m., is known as the time of totality. Everything is more towards transcendence. Everything is more powerful. Whatever you do then has greater effect. That's why. I, as well as many people who meditate and do yoga around the world, like to meditate then and do my morning program there because it's more towards transcendence, more powerful. So, I wake up then uh, anytime, probably around four to five a.m., and I get up and I brush my teeth, scrape my tongue, go to the toilet, take a herb that I take at that time, a specific powerful herb to absorb the maximum effect. It's indicated to take that herb at that time, the Brahma Mahuta. Because it's a precious one, and we want to get most benefit. And then I'll meditate for anywhere between an hour and an hour and a half. I do the twenty minutes Vedic meditation. Then I do some extended programs after, which are related with the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali, as well as Japa, which is like chanting on the beads. And then I will do Abhyanga. I'll do my Abhyanga, and then I'll walk or run down to the beach and do Surya Namaskar, Sun Salutations. I'll do 13, mostly every day I'm doing 13, for the 13 digestive fires, the 13 agnis in our body. And then I'll swim, and then I'll run back up the hill home and shower, and then I will probably drink my hot milk while I do my study. Every day I, I read from the ancient text of Ayurveda, and then I've done my morning routine, and then I'll do my work, jump on a podcast with someone, or see patients, or write some things, and then for lunch, I basically make the same lunch every similar lunch every day. It's always a mung dal. I really like the mung lentil. It's the we call the most sattvic lentil, the most pure lentil. And for those who say I can't eat lentil legumes, they give me gas, they give me bloating. Mung or mung is actually the only anti-flatulence lentil. So I'll have that with whatever seasonal vegetables and spices, and then in the second dish I'll have a grain, whether it's rice or quinoa or buckwheat or Occasionally, my partner will make something different for lunch. And then keep working, meditate in the afternoon. And by the way, there's a lot of sun exposure as much as possible. I do most of my computer work when I'm not with a patient out in the garden with my laptop on my lap and a shield in between that. And yeah. Beautiful. And you never have dinner? I don't have dinner. And then I go to bed anyway, usually around 9 p.m.-ish. And yeah, that's about it. And is this just to give your digestion a break? I do. I have on Tuesdays, I fast every Tuesday and after sunset I eat. And I occasionally have dinner when we go out. Like tonight is Friday night. Every Friday we usually do it. Most Fridays we do a family dinner, so I'll eat then. And yes, sometimes I do, but usually not. It is. And it's, you know, what's obviously very hot science now is intermittent fasting. And there's a saying in Ayurveda that three meals, it says, Eka Bhuktam Yogi. One meal a day is for the yogis. Three Bhuktam Bogi. Two meals a day are for the people who enjoy life and for the working class men. And three bhuktam rogi, three meals a day are for the patients, for the, those with disease. So Ayurveda has always said the ideal is two meals a day. Three meals, we're eating too often. We're not giving our digestion enough rest. Of course, if you're pregnant, postpartum, that's completely different. <laughs> you should be eating. You can even snack. Otherwise, Two meals a day is really the ideal if we can get there in a metabolically comfortable way. One meal a day, even a milk, hot milk, which I usually have for breakfast, is not really considered a milk, uh, a meal, sorry. 
So yeah, that's why sometimes one when I'm feeling more of a yogi, the reason why yogis just have one meal is because they're doing so much spiritual work where their digestive system's in a hypometabolic state and they're putting they're getting energy from elsewhere. But I take herbs. I take quite a lot of herbs and some of them are pastes, you know, one of the pastes and they're nutritious in, in themselves. So yeah, I, I think generally as a culture we eat too much and we need to eat less and have greater breaks in between. 100%. I totally agree. Yeah, Nick eats two meals a day. He's gone through stages of just eating one, and but usually more too. And I do. I think we eat way too much food and we're never giving our digestion a break. And like you said, this is we're not talking about pregnancy and breastfeeding. That is a different story. You can drink and eat whenever your body feels. But I think there's a lot of boredom eating <laughs> happening. And things like that. So we just need to eat when we actually feel hungry. Tune in, go inward and listen to your body because it'll tell you. Yeah, to rest our digestive system, definitely, but also to shift our metabolic state. We have a coffee shop on every corner. We have our pantry easily at hand. We're having chocolate, organic chocolate, organic nuts, organic dates, sultanas, quick injections of stimulants to give us energy because we've lost the ability to burn our own fuel which is primarily fat, and we want to learn to tap into our greater resource of fuel, of energy, rather than relying on these quick injections of stimulants. So to shift that metabolic state, which is highly related to insulin and blood glucose levels, is to learn to use your own fuel. Don't be reliant on your pantry, your organic nuts every half an hour. And I was like that. you know, When I started studying Ayurveda, I was like, every 45 minutes, give me sultanas and raisins and nuts. And, oh, my teacher said it was healthy and good for zinc and all these things. And you mix the sultanas to help the digestion. But I was just doing it because I wanted energy. It's much more satisfying to energy levels in your mood when you tap into your own fuel. 100%. Okay, I've got three rapid fire questions for you now. Are you ready? Yes. What is one thing that we can do today for our health? Just one thing that we can all start today. Sip hot water. So don't drink any cold drinks, just sip hot water. The plain hot water is the best. The cold will put out your metabolic fire and it will constrict the channels. It will harden the tissues. But if you sip hot water, like hot water washes grease off dirty dishes, similarly, when you sip it, it will melt the toxins in your intestines and it will open the channels. It will dilate the lymphatic channels. So that's such a powerful purification technique, just frequently sipping it throughout the day. The hotter, the better you'll be amazed. Don't underestimate it. It's so powerful. (laughs) What if you live in a hot climate? Even better because the hot water is going to dilate your channels. It's going to open up your sweat pores and it's going to allow you to dissipate the heat. If you don't feel like it, sure, just definitely don't drink colder than room temperature, minimum room temperature, but still have the hot water. Awesome. What is one thing that we can do today for our wealth? So more abundance in all areas of our life. Give more. Whatever you want more in your life, whether it's relationships, love, or money, give it. It's a common fundamental law of nature. And trust me, it works. Just try it for yourself. (laughs) Definitely. And last one, what is one thing that we can do today for more love in our life? Again, just give love. If you want anything more in your life, you have to give it. And give it in, just see, even if it's someone who triggers you or anything, anything, if it's anything, if it's someone at the gas station, just give love, see the beauty in them. If it's someone who you have trouble with, whether it's a relationship or a family member you don't like, just see the beauty in them, see the positive in them. Even if it's so hard, like, well, what's good about this person? 
my teacher's teacher used to always say, if you can't really find anything good about them, just imagine them as a baby. Think about them when they were a baby. (laughs) I think just seeing the beauty in everyone and everything is a reciprocal method that will occur and love will increase within you. So beautiful. This has been so beautiful. Is there anything else that you want to share? Any last parting words of wisdom or anything you wanted to talk about that I didn't get to ask you? I think it's good. I think once you are practicing, once you're honoring your health and, you know, attending to natural law and meditating and living in true with nature and all the things that Melissa speaks about in her podcast, really honor your truer desires. If you don't want to go to the club that night, if you don't want to go to your friends, if you want to eat this, if you want, just honor it and be more authentic to yourself and live that and own that. And when you do, then you'll inspire other people and change your story if you need to. If it's like, I just don't drink anymore. I don't do that. And then when you own that and you're confident in that, your friends will be like, wow, what are you doing? Why are you looking so happy and blissful? So I think just be authentic to yourself. And especially once you start to realize your pure self and purify the impurities out of your life, then start living that. Don't be afraid of it. Step into it. Although it might be changing a bit of a change for you, start living it. Beautiful advice. You are helping so many people with your incredible podcast, with your website, with your Instagram, with your patients that you see in your clinic, with everything that you do. You're helping so many people. You're serving so many people. And I'm so grateful. How can we serve you and give back to you? What can we do to give back to you today? If you have any desire, it's probably not your desire. It's the desire from a greater intelligence and act on that. Don't wait around. Don't rest in inertia. Take action and learn more about natural law, about the Vedas. (laughs) Learn about Ayurveda. That would be nice to radiate that and share that experience. I would love to share that experience with you when you learn more about Ayurveda. So, you know, you can, as you said, check out the podcast Instagram. We have online courses coming up. And in any authentic Ayurvedic teachings, check out and we can have more shared experiences that way. Honor your curiosity and your desires that come from a greater intelligence. So beautiful. I am so grateful for your time today, for all of your wisdom that you've shared with us. I'm grateful to call you a dear friend. I love having you in my life and wish you lived around the corner still. So you could meet my babes when she's here, but I'll definitely come and visit one day and you'll get to meet her then. And I just want to thank you for being in my life, for supporting me and for everything that you've shared with me and being a dear friend and for coming on today and sharing all of your wisdom. You are so full of wisdom and I just adore you so much. So thank you. Thank you, Melissa. It's it's lovely. I'm so glad to call you a friend as well. And I love our little chats and voice message and uplifting each other with this vibrant energy and I loved visiting you and Nick at your house. I can't wait to come back. And yeah, and thanks for, I was thinking about it this morning. Like you've also helped me with my podcast a lot. You've inspired me a lot. You got me putting more episodes out. And so, yeah, I just, just appreciate everything you're doing. And you just have such a great podcast show. You interview seriously some of the best people in in these fields. And yeah, I, I love every moment we have together away from each other or in person. Me too. Thank you, my darling. Oh, wasn't that awesome? I could chat to him for days. I got so much out of today's episode and I will definitely be implementing so many of the things that we spoke about in today's episode. 
And if you got a lot out of today's show, please subscribe and leave me a review on Apple Podcasts because that means that we can inspire and educate even more people together. And it also means that you could potentially be the review of the week for next week, which is pretty awesome. And speaking of review of the week, I want to read this week's review. And it is a five-star review from Haley Parks, and it's titled, One of My Fave Podcasts. And she says, I love plugging Melissa into my ears daily. Her positive energy radiates in each episode, and she always jam-packs them with value. There hasn't been a single episode I haven't liked or resonated with. I highly recommend. Haley. thank you so much for your kind words and your beautiful review. I'm so grateful and so glad that you love every episode. I absolutely love doing this show for you. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And as a little expression of my gratitude, I want to gift you one of my top four favorite products, and that is some goodies from Hydrogen Health. So just send me an email, hello at melissarambrosini.com with your address, and I will send that over to you right away, my love. And don't forget to leave your review for your chance to win some of my favorite goodies. And don't forget to come and follow me on Instagram at Melissa Ambrosini and tell me your top key takeaways from this episode. I absolutely love reading what you get out of each show. And before I go, I just wanted to say thank you so much for being here, for wanting to be the best, the healthiest, and the happiest version of yourself, and for showing up today for you. You rock. Now, if there is someone in your life that you can think of that would really benefit from this episode, please share it with them right now. You can take a screenshot, share it on your social media, email it to them, text it to them, do whatever you've got to do to get this in their ears. And until next time, don't forget that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word.